Gates. After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Well, welcome back to the greenhouse, dear listener. You're joined by your host, Adi. And uh, with me today, I've got returning guest, Sky. And Tyler. Woo! Yeah! Yeah! I'm just going to... I'll let you guys indulge. I... Yeah. Do not at, edit in something better. At, at this point... At this fucking point, you know what? I'm tired of, like, editing these episodes and hoping uh, for some highbrow listener to come in. No, just whoever is here listening... You probably appreciate it for what it is. If if the if the if the subscriber count goes up, then I'll consider putting in a little more work. But I'm just, uh. we, um, I just appreciate that I've been on enough that we're not counting how many times I've been on. Oh, uh, <laughs> let's see, let's see. You I think I'm on. at five. This feels like five. You were on. I hit three, and then I did that one. Three. The pissed one. Sixteen. Yeah, so you get a challenge coin too. You get a challenge coin. Yeah. Now, what comes after the challenge coin? I'm gonna have to determine, but that's. Ugh. Yeah, who knows? We can figure it out. Oh. I'm going. Nowhere. Free T-shirt. Okay. Party. So. <laughs> so I I don't know about you guys, but like, I was uh, <coughs> I was doing a little better mentally which is a which is a very bad assumption to have about anyone's mental health that oh i'm doing better this week and then uh we all saw that just viral 10 second clip of uh the god dang ocean was on fire and i'll i'll just admit i had a bit of a i had a bit of a breakdown about it because it's literally i mean literally what the image was like a portal into fucking hell yeah, basically. Right, and it I really looks like hell. It did, and honestly, like I've been holding back uh, certain interests of mine, namely about uh, the environment, ecology, stuff like that. That used to be my wheelhouse, <laughs> and just because I couldn't keep up with the nerds in uh, my undergrad program doesn't mean I should uh, be denied the right to talk at length. So, um, we're going to start straight with that moment, and. I'm going to be reading from Reuters. On July 2nd, uh, a fire on the ocean surface west of Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula early on Friday has been extinguished. State oil company Pemex said, blaming a gas leak from an underwater pipeline for sparking the blaze captured in videos that went viral. The fire took more than five hours to fully put out, according to Pemex. Yada yada yada. I mean, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna read the whole article. The point is, we we're at the point now where these kinds of monstrous fucking displays are happening. But I wanted to ask, like, with the virality of the internet and just like how iconic an image can appear at times, how fast the word gets out may be a positive aspect of all this, but did you guys feel a similar sense of doom or like futility when you saw that? Or was it just a, okay, this is the new thing to be worried about. I I don't know if everyone's consuming social media and these horrible events the same way I am. Yeah. Yeah. I get the, I get get the question. Uh, You know, it's, 
I don't know how else to say it other than it just it, it feels weird to even approach and like discuss these things anymore because it's like it's the 20th thing <laughs> it's like I guess not specifically environment stuff but like it's like remember last year fucking sorry uh Seattle or whichever city like the sky was orange like yeah yeah we, we literally are just living in the chaos of the climate apocalypse and it gets really hard to even just keep discussing it i guess because crazy thing after crazy thing has happened and it's still led to nothing <laughs> like it's weird and i i gotta respect the internet you know like i i saw that a couple years ago that post where everybody was saying a meteor could be careening into the earth and you just have people editing doge onto the meteor like making a meme out of it <laughs> uh, that's what people were doing with the ocean fire they were like fucking editing godzilla coming out of it they were talking about uh the doom guy busting out of it god like, fucking damn it yeah that's the internet man it, the world is ending but at least you know at least we can kind of chuckle well i i think your the way you frame that is effective because there's this I guess this may turn into a bit of a meta discussion on how environmental topics get discussed, maybe. But I wanted to maybe ask, like, why do people think that apocalypse is a thing that's going to happen in the future and not as, like, this entirely dysfunctional moment we live in? Is that not apocalyptic enough? You know what I mean? Where... You can watch something like, uh, what is it, the fucking Hunger Games, and it's like, ooh, this district lives in like uh, luxury and the rest of them are like explo exploited, and then not tie that to some extent to uh, how the United States, particularly like its uh, more consumption-oriented lifestyle, gets to persist. And, you know, even though we're starting to see the effects happen stateside, this has been happening around the world for a while. And I'm just, is it is it literally like the the ignorance around the subject or is it that like we're all so alienated we can't even like communicate these ideas to one another? I might be asking too big of a question, but. You're good, you're good. I'll let Sky hit that one first though. Um, for me, I think it's, it's part of when there has always been, and I will say that I read a lot of like the, pre-teen apocalypse books of the 2010s like I own a lot of them and read a lot of them um but like in all of these senses like there is there is no internet there is no like combining like way for everyone to have these like social conversations and everything so it doesn't feel like we're at a apocalyptic like part because we don't have like constant burning buildings and like we have the internet and we have some of these comforts that people wouldn't really associate with apocalypse. But then you think about, huh, uh, cities are burning <laughs> like for a good portion of the year if it's not all year and like all of these other apocalyptic things and like how we are the country that created the internet and there's still people who don't have access to the internet that is absolutely apocalyptic and 
we won't say that because that really it's you no one wants to think like oh you are in the bad times like you are in the time that they're gonna speak about in the future as being uh most likely a turning point in society you don't want to think about that because that's too much to think about that's too much i think to put on all of our shoulders because we weren't we didn't do a lot of the bad things that we are inheriting but we still have the responsibility to at least try to fix it um but yeah i know for me i can't say that it's a hundred percent the apocalypse because we we have too much comfort for it to be the apocalypse in my opinion and i see that's why a lot of other people are like no we're doing fine i mean we're not doing fine but we're doing better than the hunger games <laughs> yeah i guess dystopia might be a more accurate term than uh apocalypse because yeah again coming off of uh 2020 onwards for most of you guys and 2019 for me right um when you just combine like the epidemic of loneliness that impacts people in this country combine that with uh the downward mobility people are facing in their fucking careers and shit and how much money they can bring home when you combine that with this pandemic that you know, every time there's a little progress made, there's always something in to gum up the works with it. And um, to top it off, the fact that the worst impacts of climate change are starting to be felt more intimately in the United States. It's less of the fact that the sky has fallen and we're all going crazy. It's more of like uh, we're still being encouraged to, you know, put our heads down and pretend nothing has gone wrong. And I guess that's probably the the jarring part of this current reality for me, I think, is that I think we're in a time where we could just put everything else on pause for like five months and maybe just get to work on some of this shit. And I, I know that's not... People are going to ask me like, oh, how are you going to carry that out? I, I There's smarter people than me for that, but... It, is it is it that crazy of an idea to just be like, hey, can we just put society on pause for like six months and figure this shit out? I mean, we effectively put it on pause for 15. See, here's my thing is that like, if there's one thing I've just learned from my personal experience, it's kind of the, I, I know there's that phrase that's thrown around like people living in two Americas. Mm -hmm. I've come to a theory. I think there's like 10 of them. I think there are the there's the America that is like the average uh, person who's managed to maintain middle class and they don't understand what the world is like for anything other than their bracket. And then you've got, you know, the lower uh, lower middle class of just like fresh out of college, but like realizing there's no fucking jobs available. There's no houses available. Uh, you've got the lower class of like don't even have access to broadband and you know and all of these different stratums um, all of them I would say have an issue kind of looking 
from the top down in terms of socioeconomics. I mean, it's very easy to like look up and be like, I want to be like, I understand that the world exists for these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who go their whole lives growing up in one of those so- age, one of those socioeconomic rackets. And then they just don't even clock. Like you could tell them like, yeah, like a third of the city of Detroit doesn't have internet. And they just wouldn't understand that that was even a possibility. They'd be like, what do you mean? I'm from North Oakland County. Like we got internet where we don't need it. What are you talking about? Uh, and it's like people have trouble looking past their own front yard. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's why it almost doesn't feel like the apocalypse for those people. Cause like they're not looking out, they're not seeing what's going on with everybody else. You know, I think one of the biggest things that we saw that actually kind of broke that a bit I would argue is what happened with George Floyd Um, specifically where that was kind of a thing where really other than the super extremes of like the Trump people uh, you kind of had like almost every group of people kind of get together and be like, man, that really was messed up. Everybody had different reactions to it, but there was kind of that collective agreement of like, that's really screwed up. Like what happened here? Um, but that's it. I mean, you've got the ocean on fire. You hope that something like the ocean on fire would be that same aha moment, but for the environment. Uh, but nah, it's not even something people have heard about <laughs> in, in some instances. I don't know. It's hard to pin down the apocalypse when it's not the apocalypse for everyone. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. And even though, like, uh, like you said, that the distribution of resources is somewhat arbitrary, like uh, broadband access, there is a pattern to how these effects are felt. And ultimately, there's for for the foreseeable future, it seems a class of people who can continue to buy themselves out of this problem. And we're at the point where whatever used to make up the middle class I still don't buy Biden's definition of, oh, uh, 500,000 a year is middle class. But they're starting to expand that definition. And I think, like, it's only a problem for the people who can't buy themselves out of it. And I think there's this either silent refusal or silent acceptance to accept that if you can't buy yourself out the problem, good fucking luck. And I, I just don't understand how that's like a coherent operating mechanism for any state. Because if you heard another country do that, you'd have the State Department issuing fucking sanctions. They'd be up at the UN making speeches to bomb well, the country that did that. They're worried, um, that's what they're worried is going to happen with Haiti. They're worried that now that Haiti <laughs> had a president assassinated, and don't get me wrong, from what I have gathered from my bit of research, that president was not very popular in Haiti. He had, but he was friendly to the U S that's what I also don't understand is like, what? Cause here's here. Okay. Maybe I might have to cut this section or not, but as I understand it, the guys who assassinated him were wearing DEA uniforms. They announced that they were part of the DEA. Um, that's us. Yeah. It, I've I've seen the, a video where like you can hear them announcing this is the DEA like stand down or something. Um, there's a lot. I mean, there's a ton to unpack there in terms of history of U.S. military intervention and whatnot. Um, 
and it'll probably lead into a whole side tangent but i was more bringing that up as an example of your point where you've got america's got all of these issues if not more whereas if we saw them happen in another country exactly uh american war especially a country filled with people of color <laughs> american uh war hawks would be like hey we need to bring democracy to those those mothers <laughs> but not to not to be all doom um i will say though that i think when history looks back on this moment i do kind of hold out that i think there is an opportunity we're past the point right climate change is going to happen the, it's the happening irreparably damaged it's happening yeah the way i see it happening is that michigan's gonna end up being a lot like oregon i think these like torrential rains that we've been getting are gonna kind of just become the norm uh oregon's like cooking like 100 plus degrees texas is just gonna be uninhabitable uh in the winter it's gonna be horrible horrible winters half the state will be underwater etc uh and what's gonna happen is that it's not that life I'm still holding out hope that we will find some solution before life is just completely eradicated. I just think that our children will not have the opportunity to enjoy the environment in the way that we did. I think that's what the loss at the moment is. Um, granted, I have no environmental science background, so I could just be talking out my butt when I say I hope the world isn't going to end completely. <laughs> well, I, so this is the perspective I have is that, you know, Life on, on planet Earth is going to persist regardless of whether or not the human race does. Oh, yeah. But the question is, is you know, does, do, does humanity want to persist to some degree? And I think we've just hit a point of, like, cold market logic um, at some of these higher levels of government and uh, finance that it, it doesn't it – doesn't, completely add up why they act this way right but the entire profit motive at this point is it's homicidal it's it's quite literally like okay we've probably made all the money we could have made we have enough to sit on comfortably for a couple generations there's no need to continue to profit we could just coast off of this for a bit but that kind of mechanical nature of it of like we just need to keep consuming and producing isn't stopping for whatever reason. And it's, I mean, it's at a literal point now where like the comfortable American lifestyle is just no longer sustainable because there's, there's no comfortable American land. It's no longer that place that got colonized where, you know, you had nice chunks of farmable land and mostly temperate parts of the country. And even where it was extreme uh, conditions, you still had things like uh, mining and uh, and that shit. So, to whatever extent, um, you know, is there like a human society past this one? It's not going to look like what we have today. But if you take like the leftist vision that I think we're articulating, it's that it shouldn't look like what we have today. But we shouldn't have to come to that decision at the, you know, end state. Of of the Western society, it shouldn't be at that point. It, it could be now. Yeah, and I, you go ahead, go ahead. No, I just think it's interesting. I feel like you ask someone on the right, you ask someone on the left, like, "Hey, how's everything going?" Everybody would say it's messed up right now. Like that's the weird thing is that we all collectively seem unha seem unhappy, except for like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. 
and Bill, uh, Bill Gates. Like, we all collectively seem unhappy. It's just our our solutions slash approach slash what we've been told will help us just varies. Well, and, and the funny thing about this and, like, the whole thing about climate apocalypse that seems funny to me is that everyone starts jumping into the, you know, earth transforming shit where it's like, okay, we just need to find a way to, like, pump all the carbon out the air. And it's like, that's a solution for another day. It's still something we should look into, but it's like... Everything from, like, uh, sustainable, like, energy in terms of, like, solar and, like, all that garbage, we have that handy. When it comes to, like, food production and shit, like, we, there's more than enough food on the planet to feed everyone. It just gets hoarded and wasted. A lot of this fucking system just gets expressed as fucking waste at most of the time. So, again, whenever, you know, a capitalist will come to you and say, yeah, capitalism is the uh, most effective way to distribute research. Like, again, what the fuck are they fucking talking about at this point? Sky, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. So, did you read Hunger Games growing up? Yes. So, I, I am two chapters into Hunger Games. Me and my wife decided to try to pick up reading. She loved that franchise when she was a kid. Uh, so we are just jumping into it. We're reading the book. Um, and I gotta say from even the little bit that I've seen, I, I can't help but wonder how did everybody who read hunger games not just become a socialist? It, it truly doesn't make any fucking sense that we all read these books. We watched the movies. We saw like, the whatever district that I can't remember, like being like the one percent, like just straight up, like even you can you can argue the just the Hunger Games that it's like analogy for war, like all of this other shit, like and you and people read those books and loved it and like felt like they could be a Katniss Everdeen and like literally just decided to do nothing with their lives and they not to vote for Hillary literally. And like, they just, they decided to become human resource management people <laughs> and like fucking made sure that no black people worked in their office. Like these are the people who are absolute, like we'll read this, we'll understand, we'll be on the right side of. So, whole situation and then still be like yeah Joe Biden's doing great it's like, oh <laughs> do you mind if I expand on that for a moment yeah yeah go ahead go ahead okay so another thing that my wife and I decided to do is that we just decided to rewatch the Marvel movies from scratch oh lord uh in our you know collective midlife crisis we are just revisiting a bunch of stuff we enjoyed when we were young trying to get that same endorphin hit that we'll never get but I digress uh, so we watched Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2. And, like, you realize the whole storyline of Is Iron Elon Man. Musk. It's fucking Elon Musk. Well, no. Let me, let me tell you. It's literally, he produces weapons. He supports war. He's like, America is so great. I defend America. I love America, blah, blah, Then he goes through his whole thing. He decides, fuck making weapons. This is awful. Like, we are intervening and destroying these other countries and, like, hurting people. Right? And then he decides to get into the clean energy race. He's literally like, I'm going to save the world by like ending climate change and getting into clean energy. Yeah, they abandoned that plotline real quick. 
Oh, they abandoned yeah. it. Well, I will, I will know. I think it's either Avengers. They do call back to it at least and talk about that it's still happening. There's one where the movie starts. He's underwater, like installing an arc reactor or something. Um, which is clean energy. Like that's the I, I I don't buy it. I don't fucking buy it because it's like it's clean energy. I'm like, it's a reactor. There's radioactive shit going on here. What are they mining? How much how much of a mountaintop has to be stripped mined to power a stark reactor? He literally invents a new element. Uh, whether or not it's clean, it's very established, like it is clean. So it's a side yeah, we'll buy it. It is clean energy. So like there are kids, like I say kids, like I was 13 when the original Iron Man came out, uh, the first two Iron Men, I was like 13, 14, um, who watched that movie, same movie I did. And like, I got this whole like, oh yeah, like uh, dirty energy is awful. Weapon sales and war is awful. And then there are these same kids who grew up and they're like, oh yeah, going to be fucking in the army. Like, oh yeah, killing people and oh, screw well well the kids who say that don't end up serving just fun fact i, but... know, I, know. <laughs> I guess i'm just saying like there's so many examples of things that like we all watch and like it feels like every movie has literally got a socialist protagonist and a cold capitalist villain honestly oh. yeah even in this like uh ya fiction and like this like mass culture fiction that like uh i don't like as much and like people critique it's still like your your framing's correct where it's like okay you have this clear like uh line drawn in the sand and the symbolism is very obvious and then people still don't put two and two together yep uh assassin's creed that was another big thing from when we were younger oh dear god <laughs> capitalist assholes and then like socialists free thought heroes like Every popular franchise, it is the same dynamic. Well, it is I'll, I'll, well the Assassin's Creed, what ended up happening is the libertarians claimed it. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm listing examples as they yeah. pop the top of my head. I didn't prep a list or anything. But I guess it's just there's all these things that all of us collectively grew up with, yet none of us dare to think that that might actually apply in our real life somewhere. There might be some connection between this media and the real world. Well, yeah, no, because then you think about the real world, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, the parliamentarian said that. uh, It's like, (laughs) can you imagine, like, the same people who, like, love Harry Potter so much, like, and became the Harry Potter libs? Like, can you imagine them, like, if there was a parliamentarian plotline in their fucking movie, how mad they'd be about it? (laughs) That'd be umbrage. They, they'd hate them as much as they hate Umbridge. They would hate that parliamentarian. Right, but then, like, it happens in real life, and they're like, well, the parliamentarian's a woke queen boss lady. God damn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, it was a woman that decided that we don't get a $15 minimum wage. That's the type of America I want to live in. Honestly, honestly, coming back to the eye, in the, uh, uh, eye of fire in the sea, um, yes. the worst fucking take I saw in response to it was someone retweeted the video, and then the caption was... Uh, this is why men can no longer lead the world. We need women to lead. And I'm like, this is neither the time nor place to bring this up, my guy. What girl was he impressing on Twitter? Literally. How down bad have you been that you thought that was a good idea to post? <laughs> I want a girl boss killing me. Like, what kind of... It's, it's, no, I don't want a woman to be in charge of an oil company because 
I'm going to keep it real with you, and I might get deemed as sexist. A lot of women who are being put in charge of evil corporations are just as, if not more, evil than the corporations that they are in charge of. So, like, they are, they're very, very eager to do the best, be the best, get it done. And that doesn't, that means stepping on whoever the fuck you can. That means hurting other women. That means hurting the environment. That means taking that ladder that you just climbed up and then like burning it behind you so nobody else can use it. And those are the women that are being put in charge in the positions that these horrible men were in. These are horrible women too. Well, and that's and that's correctly it because like I keep coming back to this algorithmic or like a death drive view of capitalism where like the whole production and like uh consumption aspect never stops and like when you become the kind of person who believes in like who believes in representation and by taking on that role you're doing something positive you still like believe all that shit and then you like just you start using it as like the next thing in your justify mechanism where it's like actually it's really woke that i do this or like it's really good for society that I'm the one directing this fucking machine of consumption and production than this well, white guy. And it's like, it. Th- this is a demonic device that happens regardless of a man or a woman or whatever. You know what I mean? Anything in between. See, here's my, my thing is that in a twisted way, you almost have to be impressed. Because like what the neolibs have managed to do is they've managed to take this collective trauma that a lot of women and a lot of people of color go through simply for being women and people of color in this country. They take that trauma and then they're able to twist it where it's like, there is no problem in this country other than that trauma. Like there is nothing else you need to focus on other than that specific thing. You know, you don't need to fix the economy or anything. You don't need to, as long as more women are the ones voting to, you know, take away your health care, as long as it's more women, it's fine. <laughs> no, and honestly, that's there's two there's two responses I have to this. One is like I noticed this early on when I was younger, where like a lot of uh, I not I'm not I feel like it was astroturfed, but there were like a lot of people I saw who complained about uh environmentalism as a distraction from uh social justice issues and i'm like how is it a distraction this is the perfect time to bring up intersections but because people already are predisposed to specialization as opposed to a holistic approach they start thinking they can only like go into the one thing they figured out first and then it it turns into that whole thing of like uh well these environmentalists are really white, man. Do you really think they have your best interest? And that's like, it doesn't work like that. This is everyone's planet. Come on, man. It's been so effectively weaponized where like, there was literally a point where that was the only argument people were using against Bernie Sanders at a point was because he's a white man. That's it. Screw anything he's saying screw anything anyone who's endorsing him who might be a woman or a person of color it's just because he's white he can't do it and it's like in as opposed to who hillary clinton 
Yeah. Okay, she can play the woman card, but she's still white, as far as I can tell. But don't get me wrong. I'm a white man. I suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't insist on that. But again, it's like yeah. the, this, this whole thing of uh, I we were talking about this earlier and I, I want to get back on this is that. Yeah, go for it. The people we're cr- criticizing as like the masters of capital when we critique it. Those people are white men. But that's because this system that we set up in America was previously historically set up by white men. And the system they set up was set up to empower them, right? So they just inherited it. That's why they ended up being white men. And it's like, by a fluke of history, it could have been any other ethnicity. That's just how the cards went down. So it's like, I hate this specific group of white men. And they are aware of their identity as much as we're aware of our own. And that informs their, uh, you know overarching pattern of control in this capitalist system and blah, blah, blah. And we can talk about where that intersects with sexism and racism, yada, yada. I think the intersections matter, but they need to be uh, informed by a class narrative. Otherwise you don't get anything useful in my opinion. But um, to round it off to that point, it's like there's something that transcends identity for the human race. There's several things in fact that transcend that. And the neoliberal co-optation of identity as an obscuring factor in the discourse, I, it, I'm not sure how you overcome that. Because for a lot of us on the, on the left, right, we have a more structured and more detailed analysis, in my opinion, of how class and race intersect, how class and sex and gender intersect, how uh, ability-disability intersect, how all, all these lenses that people can project themselves into, how these are exacerbated by the class divide. But there's even like this pushback of like, anytime someone brings up class, you got to talk, talk about them as a class reductionist or whatever, what have you. And it's it's just become toxic to the left more than anyone else. Like the discourse is toxic, period. But then it's to the point where like anyone, you know, with a more structured class analysis comes in, they're just like, nope, nope, gotta push him out. We gotta we gotta go nuclear on everyone to kick this one guy out. See, here's my thing. Um and I, I very much want to hear Sky's opinion on this because I'm curious. But my thing with leftists, leftists have got to learn when to shut the fuck up and let someone else do it for the better of the whole movement i have said this once i will say it a million times if i end up in a situation where i am like trying to become like a dsa president or like something like that and somebody else wants to do it like somebody else steps up and wants to do it if that person is genuinely like a completely fine other option like they're educated, I trust them, etc. Uh, I am just gonna sit down, talk with them, and I don't care if it's the day after I announced. If I figure that out, I am so willing to just say, okay, fuck it, I support you. Then we'll just make it happen because it's not about me. It's not about me being the guy that does it, and it shouldn't be about any individual one of us being the guy that does it, or the girl that does it, or the. Well, but how does this apply to leftists in particular? Uh. I think leftists, 
And as and like again, leftist is a term that gets thrown around around a lot. So maybe let's specify. I try to get at the risk of listing specific examples and potentially burning some bridges. Eh, whatever, whatever. Okay, so in I can 20, edit the section out too. It's cool. But... In twenty twenty, uh, running in Michigan District Twelve against Debbie Dingle. Uh, I think we ended up with like, it was like Anthony C or something. He ran on this, like, I'm an average dude. Like I work at a grocery store or something. He's running, he's trying to primary Debbie Dingle. Uh, And then it was, what was his name? He's an uh, Arabic gentleman. He paused med school to run for it. Oh, that guy. Yeah. 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 Oh, I want to Google it. I don't want to just say a name. I want to be. I know who you're talking about though. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, so it, it was basically, it ended up being this thing where you look at their two websites. They're both like socialists. They're both like running on Medicare for all. They're running on $15 minimum wage, et cetera. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. Debbie Dingle ended up decimating the both of them. Like neither of them had any like major, it wasn't a situation where one pulled from the other and thus no socialist won. Uh, but I just remember looking at that and I'm like, you live in the same district. You're running on so much of the same stuff. Like, why does it matter which of the two of you it is? Like, I'll, I was fine. I'm completely disconnected. For all I know, there's like some beef with Democrats in that district. Like, I don't know. Or like some history I'm not educated on in that area. Whatever. But like, I guess maybe Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders is another example. Um, uh, I would, I will say that that's a very big, I understand, like, Bernie and Elizabeth were are very different. Yeah, true. And, <laughs> and I, I am just spitting off the top of my head, so I'm sure I could go and find a bunch of examples. Um, that is a very interesting. That is a very good point. I guess maybe Bernie and the Warren situation just shouldn't even be a part. I feel like that could be its own discussion. Well, I no, I think I think it's germane to this one. I just I don't know how this sub discussion we're on ties back to the broader whole, but yeah. In true. terms of what you're getting at of uh why is there so much competition in the electoral sphere in the electoral yeah. sphere for the American left, which is broad. Yep. Instead of solidarity, especially when it comes to let's just all pitch in to fight the incumbent no matter how bad they are. I get where you're coming from on that, but I think I think it may be worth mentioning that in that case, leftist is this moniker that we've all adopted. You know what I mean? And it's it's like this catch-all term to describe certain people. It doesn't really characterize their politics, even when when we're using it. And then to top it off. Now we're saying Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are leftists for the purpose of this discussion, right? And we're talking about, well, Warren, who is a basically a uh, Roosevelt-style capitalist, uh, and she's more of the technocrat model, versus Bernie Sanders, who is a very old-fashioned, like, New Deal-style Democrat, who has an emphasis on Scandinavian-style social democracy. So already, like, compared to where most people are at, they're they're on the left in the American sense, fine, but that's not really, like, 
you know, socialism or more hardcore stuff like uh, Maoism or uh, communism or, you know, what have you. So, like, already these terms have weight that we don't fucking, like, give credence to. So there's the first aspect of that. But I get fundamentally what you're getting at is that, like, why can't these coalitions come together, especially if the cost is so high? Mm-hmm. I totally get where you're coming from in that sense, but uh, it's it's frustrating because on the one hand, with this climate change discussion that we're having on like, shouldn't the cost be enough to put all these petty squabbles uh, on pause? And I agree with that, but I guess I should also clarify what I'm getting at is that there is ultimately a difference between people who have a hard critique of the profit motive and people who are more interested in soft reform. And I think that's really the hard line between Sanders and Warren. As for the state house race you were getting at, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure uh, what happened there, my but bad, my bad. well, yeah, but even then, like when it comes to local elections though, I do get what you're saying is that like, this should be one of those situations where uh, people pull their resources a little more willingly. Uh, Sky, getting back to the the question that Adi asked, it was how do we how do we deal with the neoliberal narrative of identity politics? Uh, uh, I'm really curious your thought. I mean, a- as a woman and as a man <laughs> of color. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think we defeat identity politics, et cetera? Um, well, the thing is, I think we're so far away from it because everyone, and the reason why people won't ban their resources is because everyone wants this special little moment. Everyone wants to feel like they did it. They made their change. They are the perfect person they are the martyr and if you are a part of a group that is doing a big change then you have this like yeah i did it but you did it as a group you didn't do it the group did it but you are the group so that's the thing that they're missing um but yeah this is why i am really not against, but um, a little wishy-washy about reparations because I do think reparations could be amazing, but I think the logistics of it is just too much. So instead of specific reparations for Black people and maybe Native people, which also get um, lost in that, conversation because they are not at all still treated well um but that um having things like medicare for all having student debt um deleted and like making sure that there is free education in the future all of these things will help black people and native people and guess what white people and brown people and everyone who is in need. And that's why we have to get back to there needs to be more class solidarity, even though that is so hard because what is class? What 
what is middle class? Like, it, if we're thinking that upper middle class is 500,000, that means that we are in poverty levels. <laughs> we are not making, we are not like, that. this means, especially when you think of like, people who are making 500,000, like that's not just like their actual income, that's their stock options. And like, there are like all of their other assets that they have that we don't have the opportunities to even think about. Wait, so, y'all like, got options? We don't, right, we sure don't. <laughs> no, we have pizza parties. Um, <laughs> I, I wish there was a, like, at least a nice little ice cream bar. Like. There's like there's just pizza parties and it's not even like a party. It's just pizza. Um <laughs> It's just like it's just like slop in a trough they leave in a cardboard box and it's like eat it pig. <laughs> Here and here's here's my thing with climate change is that I think at least I don't know. You know I love you, Adi, and I, I care about your mental health. So I guess in terms of you just being stressed about the whole situation, um completely understand and sympathize with that i think unfortunately where we should be adjusting our mindset to is how society it's never going to be the same so what are we going to do to make sure that the new is hopefully somewhat better um you know what i mean i think the problem that we're really in is that we're still in this everyone should do their little part to help the climate and like i'm like yes bitch recycle because like why the fuck not there's so many options that we didn't have like even 10 years ago for recycling and making sure that like waste is getting where it's supposed to be but there needs to be accountability for the people who are actually doing the fucking damage to the environment ExxonMobil not only did this, not only like recently years ago just was like, yeah, we've been knew that we were fucking up the environment. We don't give a fuck. Not only did the gas, like the oil spill that like should have been the fucking wake up call for our generation. Yeah, Exxon Valdez should have been the fucking wake up call, not all this shit. It's, it's like we we still get Dawn commercials of them like cleaning little baby ducks. Uh, like affected by oil life like since the gulf of mexico like how many how many of these ducks they still gotta wash with dawn right and i'm just like why is this an advertisement like look we're we're saving these little baby ducks like that's not i shouldn't we shouldn't be using dawn to like make sure ducks can survive we shouldn't have to do that shit unless your ad is literally about holding the people accountable that caused that oil mm-hmm. spill you should not be showing images from the oil spill right uh, i think in in the grand scheme of of history i hope that bernie sanders like marketing team whoever makes the videos from him gets some level of acknowledgement uh because every one of his ads and his things i feel like they're just so pardon my pun but i think they're just so fire where like they do such <laughs> Like, he will put in footage of, like, an oil spill or something, and instead of it just being some bullshit, he's literally like, yeah, let's hold these people accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, mother... Well, yeah. and and that's ultimately, I think, the 
earlier dispute we were having earlier about who's the leftist and who needs to shut up because there's this, you know, this, this, I think, performative discussion we're all having about reform and to what extent you can work within the system. So I guess I wanted to get into today's viewing series, uh, which this also made the rounds, but I guess we should probably get a chance to look at it. So this is an excerpt from Democracy Now! on the Exxon lobbyist who got caught red-handed, basically admitting to the degree of influence they have in the U.S. Senate. So I'm going to pull that up. Are you going to have like a link for this in the YouTube description or whatever? Yeah, I probably should. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> there. All right, I'm, I'm in. I'm excited. Okay. Well, not excited, but you know what I mean. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Democratic Congressmember Rokana, the chair of the House Oversight Subcommittee on the Environment, it's coming through for you guys, announced right? plans to ask the CEOs of Exxon and other fossil fuel companies to testify before the committee about their role in blocking congressional action to address the climate emergency. Congressmember Kana made the request after Greenpeace UK released a stunning video where two top lobbyists discussed Exxon's secretive efforts to fight climate initiatives in Washington. This is the video produced by Unearth, the investigative in journalism unit at Greenpeace UK. You know, the, the winds are such that it would be difficult to, to, to categorize them all. Did we join some of these shadow groups uh, to work against uh, some of the early efforts? Yes, that's true. Uh, but there's nothing, there's nothing illegal about that. This is Keith McCoy, one of ExxonMobil's top Capitol Hill lobbyists. And this is Dan Easley. Until February this year, he was Exxon's leading White House lobbyist. Unearthed, posed as recruitment consultants, and told them we had a client who admired their work. Then we interviewed them on Zoom and asked them to tell us what they and the other lobbyists at Exxon have been up to. ExxonMobil is so powerful that the management suite at its global headquarters is known as the God Pod. Until recently, it was the biggest, richest corporation in the history of the world. My God. For decades, critics have claimed Exxon deploys cynical, aggressive lobbyists techniques to pull the strings of government while running clandestine campaigns to block action on climate change, discredit its opponents, and distract attention from its polluting activities. But not one of its serving senior executives has ever come clean about the Exxon playbook until now. Here's what Dan Easley and Keith McCoy told us. Mr. McCoy revealed that behind the scenes, the company has been working hard to undermine President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure plan. The White House proposal included spending hundreds of billions on clean energy and transport as part of the most ambitious clean energy legislation ever proposed by a U.S. president. And it would have been paid for by higher taxes on corporations like Exxon. But these ambitious proposals are on the verge of being defeated. According to Mr. McCoy, Exxon has been working to scale back the legislation and stop Exxon paying more tax. He told us which United States senators the company sought to recruit to their lobbying campaign, and they're not all Republicans. We're playing defense because President Biden's talking about this big infrastructure package, and he's going to pay for it by increasing corporate taxes. You stick the highways and bridges, and a lot of the, the negative 
stuff starts to come out because right. for you guys because there's it's, there's a germaneness right there's this it, it, that doesn't make any sense for a highway bill why why would you put in why would you put in a um, uh, something on uh, uh, emissions reductions on climate change uh, to oil refineries in a highway bill who's the crucial guys for you well, Senator Capito, who's the ranking member of Environment and Public Works, Joe Manchin, I talk to his office every week, and he is the kingmaker uh, on this because he's a Democrat from West Virginia, which is a very conservative state, and he's not shy about sort of staking his claim early yeah. and completely changing the debate. So on the Democrat side, we look for the moderates on these issues. So it's the Manchins, it's the cinemas, it's the testers. Exxon is even trying to get through to President Biden through his friend, Senator Chris Coons. Other ones that aren't talked about yeah. is Senator Coons, who's from Delaware, who has a very close relationship with Senator Biden. So we've been working with his office. Matter of fact, our CEO is talking to him next Tuesday. Then I'm sorry, that's out a little bit more. Biden? And you say, okay, well, who's up for <laughs> 2022? That's Hassan, that's Kelly. And then obviously the Republicans. We have a great relationship with the senators where we have assets. I, I can't worry about the 2027 class because they're not focused on re-election. The 2022 class is focused on re-election, so I know I have them. Those are the Marco Rubios. Those are the Senator Kennedys. Those are the Senator Danes. So you can have those conversations with them because they're a captive audience. They know they need you and I need them. Dan Easley left Exxon earlier this year after nearly eight years lobbying for the corporation. He described just how big a problem Biden's original proposal posed for oil and gas companies. Oh, it's going to be replete with provisions that will be difficult for oil and gas. Take away tax, some of the um, best things I've heard about Joe Biden. Fair tax treatment. Um, you know, they're going to raise the corporate rate. Um, and then a whole host of environmental, new, new environmental requirements. Right. And, and, and procurement requirements from the federal government to purchase, you know, green energy and uh, renewable technology. Why is he so incensed about that? federal buildings and all, all of, I mean, it's, it's going to accelerate the transition to the, the governor wants to care about the environment. So we're all living in a different world. He's worried about a different world? ...claimed it supports a carbon tax when they came out for the policy. It surprised a lot of people. But does Exxon really believe in a carbon tax? Or is it a ploy uh, to make the company... How much uh, did you want to watch? ...while giving them cover to aggressively oppose climate regulations... We can, we can stop here, honestly. Online. Nobody is going to propose a tax... Well, okay, so here, here's, here's my big takeaways from that, hold on. If anything, in a weird way, that changed my opinion on Joe Biden just ever so slightly, where I now think that he's less of a moderate and more just spineless. Where, like, you're telling me he came in with a bill that actually did piss off some fossil fuel people, and then he has just completely let its back be broken by the bullshit. Like, wow, what a, what a loser. Anyway... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you had me worried. It was like, wow, this changes my opinion of President Biden. I'm like, wait, oh, oh no, no, oh no. no. I, in the sense of I'm still not a fan, but now it's like for different reasons. Right, right. Because it's before it's like, no, and I think that's part of the image, isn't it? They're like, oh, Joe Biden's this stern moderate who won't let it happen. And that changes the floor no, when in reality apparently it's. he's just a spineless leftist yeah. who doesn't, who just is willing to get screwed over again and again. Like, what a loser. I'm sorry. Number two, 
my other big thing is that you know what always confuses me about bills and like laws i think we spend so much time talking about them like it's just a performance like what what Mm -hmm. house rep what senator actually changes their opinion based on a conversation they had with another house rep or senator that doesn't happen absolutely none i can't comment on if it ever did but like it's all just performative yeah all the shit that happens in the chamber they call it debate like no no this is not they plan their vote ahead of time. What the fuck are you talking about? Exactly. Joe Manchin probably got paid a million dollars to vote no on that fucking uh, climate infrastructure bill. Uh, and so, yeah, you could talk to him a million different ways. Unless you are going to offer him a million and one dollars to vote in favor of it, he's not going to. Mm-hmm. That's just it. That's just it. And same goes for cinema. Same goes for... Again, one of my big things with if I actually trust a politician is if they take... I will start believing that someone might actually believe the things they're doing if they don't take corporate money. Mm-hmm. I will never... If you take corporate money, I will not trust a word that ever leaves your lips. You have been paid to say whatever you're saying, and that is it. Um, except apparently Kristen Cinema. I heard some weird shit about her, but... I digress. What you mean? Was she started off as like a Occupy Wall Street organizer and then went downhill from there? I just I read this really weird article on Salon, <laughs> uh, where her whole thing. So Joe Manchin, right? Like him being Joe Manchin, like he's actually connected to Exxon to a bunch of like dark money groups. Like okay, like when he votes like a Republican, it's like okay, yeah, because he is, you know. But like cinema doesn't actually get that much money in lobbying from like Republican conservative outlets. It's just, so the, the person from salon, what they were writing is that it kind of just seems like she genuinely actually believes that like centrism and compromise is the solution because that's how she won this big campaign in Arizona to prevent gay marriage from being. So she prevented, she was part of a campaign that prevented a ballot initiative that would have made gay marriage completely illegal in the state. And that campaign, instead of focusing on how it's wrong to take people's rights away, instead focused on this ballot proposal would take so many rights away from straight marriages. Don't let it pass. It'll hurt the straights. Uh, And it won. And that was like one of her first big political victories historically. Uh, Again, according to Salon. I don't know if this is like scalable. I don't know if this can even apply to any other context like Kristen cinema and Arizona seem to be their own fucking thing at this point. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like with her weird thing with centrism, it almost feels like she just thinks that's right. Like she's not being paid to have that opinion. She's yeah. Yeah. That's the weird thing about this is somehow? that, is that, you know, she's not dyed in the wool. Like, uh, okay, I'll do it. How much are you going to cut the check for? It's more of, yeah. You know, if you get someone who believes, who, who's already drank the Kool-Aid, you don't need to make the glass for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Those are my takeaways, anyway, from the video. I, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Let's let's revisit your original point because it started off ham-fisted and part of me was like, ooh, let's edit it out. But I don't, I don't think so. I think there's a point to be had here about within an electoral framework what coalitions are worth building and like how do we even get across because at a point it's like what what exactly can be reformed here it's to me go ahead one of y'all can start off but okay to me 
it all boils down to the corporate donations. You, you will start having candidates that have real genuine opinions when you get rid of the corporate donations. Like there is not a single politician that I will trust more than somebody who has just blanket rejected all types of corporate donations and is just taking small dollar donations. Like when I know when AOC is giving a speech and giving her genuine opinion on what is wrong with America or what is wrong with a specific issue or a corporation or whatever, I believe her. She hasn't been paid to say that. Well, okay, when, I, I, I believe that much. But then when it comes to, like, certain things like supporting Pelosi for the speakership role or just certain things about, like, what this is possible, this isn't, and what have you, I think for, you know, AOC, it's a little different. Like, I'm not saying that, oh, she's been bought out. But what I think is also happening is there's a Kristen Cinema type effect happening here where instead of believing in centrism and compromise, I think for whatever reason – She's bought into this idea of the sanctity of the Democratic Party and its uh, operational leadership as a virtue. See, I, mm, you, I feel like whenever you and I disagree, it's on this type of thing. Because, like, just look at what's happening in Ohio right now. Like, you've got James Clyburn, Hillary Clinton are all back in this uh, Chantel Brown. Yeah. And you've got AOC and everybody backing Nina Turner. Uh, and uh, you know, I, that just doesn't seem to me like I- if the squad or anybody was buying any kind of sanctity of the democratic party, they all would have said, Oh, I guess if James Clyburn is saying that it's Chantel Brown, then it should be Chantel Brown. Know what I mean? Like, I, just, I, 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 I hear you. It's just, it's, it's so tricky to make sense of AOC these days. Uh, I mean, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, Scott. The thing is, is. There are politicians that get bought out by corporations and politicians that get bought out with the idea of possibly doing more change in the future or being able to do all of this. But the possibility of maybe in the future you can be president and do the good things or maybe in the future you'll be like, in charge of the house and you'll be able to do these good things it's the in the future when i have more and i've gotten elected a multiple times i will be able to do all of this it's like no you have your position now it's not guaranteed that you're going to win another election it's not guaranteed that people are going to want to hear the things you need to say so you need to try to get as much done now and not later and that's, I feel a lot of people are in, uh, a wait and see type, like Democrat, and I don't want to wait and see anymore. So, okay, let me just strap on the boxing gloves then. We'll, we'll do this. We'll do that. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I guess um, what, it, what it always comes back to with me is that just everything that I've seen from AOC, the squad, all of them, I don't feel like they hold any punches. I feel like they are constantly trying to push through their things. And socialists are just a horrible minority at the moment. And they can push and push and push. And constantly they're on message, on brand, hitting the same issues, like not missing a step. And it's just that there's like 10 of them and there's like 400 Democrats. You know what I mean? 
That's what so, I mean. Like, I buy that. I do buy in that. a world where it's more 50 50. If I see them still like pulling some of the punches, then I, I will be the one of the first to jump over onto the other side of that uh, opinion. But it, at least for now, when there's so there's so few of them, I gotta keep I gotta keep swinging. Keep I hear swinging you. I I, I, I I women. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I hear you. I hear you. And it's like, I guess I don't I don't want to be hard on AOC specifically because you kind oh, yeah. of have to accept at some level that there's limits to the electoral approach. Not that it's you know yeah. useless and you shouldn't do it. But it's one of those oh, things of once someone is in the chamber, you don't fully understand what they're up against. You don't know what institutional forces are there. And if you buy the interpretation that these deliberatory bodies are. Oh, God, I'm going to get canceled for saying this, but I'm saying this. I'm saying this word. Don't 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 nobody take it the wrong way. Ooh, go for it. As a retarding force, they literally slow oh, momentum down. It's still a, it's still a word. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, but please understand the context in which I'm saying it. I am not trying to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. you know, but it, it has that effect. So it's like it's highly likely that even you know these probably are the same people they were elected as, but these are just the market forces they're up against. And when you take someone like AOC and how she was put in the media limelight and had to absorb all these different constituencies who made a stand culture around her and what have you. I buy that she might have internalized some of that, and that makes some of her calculus look unappetizing to more hardcore socialists at times. I totally see that. But I guess guess the real point that we can all come back on is how do we get money out of the system? Yeah. Because what – from the jump, what seems to be the fact of uh, the American political experiment was a moneyed interest funded the rebellion against England – and then set up their own tax evasion scheme as a government. That's a very cynical read of what happened. But in effect, that's you can't you can't deny that like it was the planter elite or the mercantile elite or what have you. Those the founding fathers, that's who the guys were. It was the Fortune 500 of the, of the 13 colonies got in a room <laughs> and made the constitution, right? And we're still living in the shadow of that system. So it's it's top-down reform and i'm not sure what it's going to take because i don't know if you guys had a chance to look at this in the outline but even in the most uh sincere and uh, genuine interpretations of democracy in america and what have you we're at a point where it's just it's getting ripped from people's hands so like literally i'm i'm just looking at and again here comes arizona again so this was on NPR, and I, it's just this is funny to me because this the, both these articles were posted on July first, in a twenty minute window. So the first article is the Supreme Court deals a new blow to voting rights, upholding the Arizona restrictions. Twenty minutes later, the Supreme Court throws out a state law requiring nonprofits to name rich donors. So. I this is my conspiratorial read on this like new push against uh voting rights and the franchise in America, right? Is that the push to get the most vulnerable voters out of the voter record only pushes it towards the people who are already on the voter file. And these are people who are increasingly the affluent, the suburban, the types who are already 
bought into the existing Democratic and Republican parties, are the types of people who go vote regularly. Everyone else is slowly getting shut out as these things continue to progress. And then if they're going to throw out rules on campaign finance, it's going to get harder and harder to discern the influence of money on politics, especially when we're trying to fight against it. So my cynical read, my conspiratorial read, the read that's going to get me canceled out loud is that this is just a reification of this tax evasion government that I joked about. That it is basically uh, the moneyed interest in power then and the moneyed interest in power now. And how do we counter this? Because you take the stance of let's not let's not resort to violence, let's let's not resort to radical action. Let's work within the system. Yeah. But how do we reform this? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I asked an impossible question. Nah, there. you good. I'll let Sky hit at that one first. Um honestly, I think the only way to even try to reform it would be to have um, either no corporate uh, donorship or like maybe uh, just like a max of what you can even spend on your campaign. Like I this sounds gross, but um, I was in the sorority and like for like recruitment and everything uh you had a budget you had a certain amount of budget that you could spend a certain amount of budget for each night and like you know that it seemed unfair for some people but when you think about some sororities had the resources to have like the most ridiculous looking rooms and make all of the other sororities look like inferior when they're just pulling all their resources for this one thing or maybe even making their dues higher so they can have ridiculous things like this and how at least that there is that okay this is the cap for everyone this is what you can do this is um how much you can have and this is what you can do with it and try to take the money out of uh politics because all it is is money and even with what does where does the money go when you win the camp like the campaign is won uh you keep it you can run again on it or i think you can just well you don't you i don't know if you can pocket it because that does vary from state to state but basically it stays in your uh campaign committee's bank account for the discernible amount uh I have a question for you about that after the recording. Something just occurred to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've honestly, I talked to my wife about this a couple months ago. I was like, yeah, we just got to have like publicly funded elections. Right? Like, that's it. That, And you know what occurs to me is we could probably do a ballot initiative on that. And we probably get like Republicans and Democrats to like that shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, again, like I have certain you know, limits of faith with the electoral process. But I do believe that where possible, like local fucking elections can like still be done. 
I think community-based change in the electoral model still works because you're still working within the community. And even then, like certain of these ballot initiatives at a state level should be tried and fought for. I don't know if national politics is something I have faith in right now. But at least if one state could push to a fully public model, because that's one of the silver bullets at the heart of the U.S. Constitution, that um, the the states have to carry out their own elections. Maybe that's an maybe that is an you know that is an advantage of of this approach is that maybe we could push a state to go fully public in all its elections because literally all you would need is you would just have to set an amount for state house state senate uh, statewide positions so like governor U.S. Senate uh, all that and then no but those are still administered by the state government right so in theory oh yeah exactly that's that's what i'm saying is that you would just and all you would do hell you can even get an incentive for the politicians to want to do right by their state by making it like a percentage of what's taxed from people thus you want to make it so that you know your state's doing really fucking well uh so that you're getting more money for your campaign Something like that. Who knows? I just have a pool that's divided up. There are five candidates divided up five ways. Boom. There's your, mm-hmm. there's your budget. Whole season. That, and I think, like, shortening the election cycle would probably be good. Because, again, like, all this so keeps... Long. It keeps getting expressed as waste, right? Yeah, And um, The fact that we have, like, a year-long fucking cycle for electing president. With yeah. all these fucking well, like uh, <laughs> twists and turns that can happen, either intentionally or as like a twist of fate, it 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 just mm-hmm. shakes up fucking elections in like ways that wouldn't happen if the cycle was shorter. And it's like, oh, you need a year to get all the dirt out. And it's like, did you? I once saw someone say that if the 2016 election cycle was like only three months then ben carson would have been the republican nominee possibly possibly if you look at at month three if the democratic cycle in 2020 was the the was only that that long maybe bernie could have been the nominee oh oh joe biden at all wouldn't have been even close to being the nominee because he came out like so late in the game being like, oh yeah, I guess I got uh, Jack uh, uh, democracy, and like literally just stumbled, like with his dick out on the fucking stage, and was like, I guess I'm a part of this. And Obama was like, I guess I gotta do everything in the fucking world to destroy everybody else's chance. Yes. Yeah, and honestly, Super like villain. a lot of a lot of blame goes around for who did what in making in you know Bernie's campaign not winning in twenty twenty. I think the single thing that got me is I did not foresee the Democrats forming a coalition behind Joe Biden. I really thought they were all selfish to fight amongst each other. I yeah. Oh, they are selfish. I mean, Pete Buttigieg got a transportation secretary position. Kamala got to be the vice president. Um, yeah. was big. Okay, but did you expect that to happen? Because I, I sure as fuck didn't. I, I saw I, it. I didn't see Kamala. I, she Because she filed out so early. And she, like, she, really made that beef with him where he was like, I was the kid on that bus or whatever. Right. And they like, yeah, they have this like little beef at the 
the one debate she was uh, able to go And then she goes on Stephen Colbert like, it was a debate. <laughs> like what? Huh? Of course I lied. I'm a liar. Didn't you know? Can you tell? I'm a liar. <laughs> I hate her. I just, um, I just realized something about Kamala Harris. So Kamala Harris is half black, half Indian, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, if oh. you guys had kids, oh, we literally said that this is the worst. Like so many times, this is the worst representation for our fucking if children. You, if you name your kid Kamala, I will pay I will, for college. Oh. No. If, look! If look! We save the. There was a time where I had hope in a future. I wanted a home. I wanted, you know, a family and a house with a dog. Then Kamala Harris became vice president. And then I joined r slash child free on Reddit. And when Kamala Harris came, I was like, man, maybe we shouldn't be allowing everybody into this country. (laughs) Shut the. No, no, no. We're going to get canceled. What the fuck? Maybe they're going to have horrible children like this. We need to stop it. We well, well, to stop no, it. but let's let's get back to that point specifically because, like, this this got brought up enough times in 2020. But I want to bring this up again. Kamala's parents were more like I'm not sure they were left wing, but like they were critical of her uh, political career when she was uh, a prosecutor. I mean, her mom died. Not too long ago, but quite a bit ago. So, like, her mom was probably also, like, at this point in her life where she wasn't trying to pay attention to her daughters. Like, she's like, you guys are fucking grown. Get married. Get the fuck away from me. Well, all all I know. And her dad was straight up like, I don't fuck with this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, he was. I remember reading an article that he was upset because she was on the breakfast club saying something like, uh, yeah, I was smoking weed. And it's like, and and then, like, her Jamaican father. Her Jamaican father is over here like, man, this is a stereotype if I if you ever saw one. I hate this shit. <laughs> and then I just hear the I hear all this shit about uh what is it? Pete Buttigieg's dad was a uh he translated Antonio Gramsci's works from Italian to English and that was a Marxist scholar or something. So it's like all of these uh or at least I need to I need to maybe talk to someone from that age of the new left declining from labor into academia, because at least there was still like that rich tradition of left wing scholarship in America. And even that fell apart because their kids became like neoliberals. I it's just it's the same thing. It's not the same thing, but it's like it's that same interest point of all of the people in the hippie generation who are now CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that are destroying the world. Like it's, it's like their generation benefits a bit because they move to like a left position and then as soon as they're there they're like fuck you and like kick the ladder out from But but I mean that was under them. Mm-hmm. That was the period, though, where, like, it was probably among the most catastrophic for the left in America. You know what I mean? Where you had everything from uh, the civil rights leadership getting martyred and Malcolm Malcolm X and MLK. You had uh, you had uh, Kent State 
where you know students literally mm-hmm. got shot by the cops for protesting the war. You had, uh, I mean, what the weather underground just go downhill. You had, uh, you had a bunch of just like traumatic uh, experiences for the left at that point, where it had already taken a decline from labor into uh, that kind of academic lens. Yep. And even when it started to push back into things like the Black Panthers, or started to push back into uh, those organized spaces, even that was shut down so viciously that we're still reeling from it. We're reeling from it very mm-hmm. badly. Yep. The way I see it, the only way that uh, DSA, uh, you know, insert new rising socialist group here, is even running is because they're they're happening in so many places that the CIA can't send enough people. Or the FBI can't <laughs> them. I mean, that is very much true. I think because it's not like a centralized, like in the middle. It's, yeah. or like just in this one city, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's harder for them to infiltrate. Um, I think the, I think the, just the way that we have grown up, it's, it's easier to find like to realize the bullshit if someone's in front of you um that's why they really succeed now on the internet and that's they do less when it comes to in america that one-on-one like going into the communities and physically being there and destroying them it's all we can do this from the comfort of our homes um and they'll go into name country here um that brown and black people live in and they'll occupy that and that's where they'll do their physical um everything they'll they'll let some nerd in their mom's basement who can say that they work for the cia to like catfish someone um in the organization to do something bad, but they won't, they won't actually do the dirty work in yeah. America at least. Well, and, and I will say the American left, I, I, I will say I've never met a leftist that isn't paranoid about that. So that's, that's one thing is that we've all kind of been mm-hmm. educated on what exactly the tactics are. And I feel like we've got our eyes out for that type mm-hmm. of shit. You guys haven't been able to find out that I'm working for the FBI yet. So, I mean, that's good on me. But yeah, like we still why why do you think this podcast only has 50 50 listeners at, at most? <laughs> All of those 50 listeners are in the CIA. Yeah. Um, if you if you pull up my stats page on the hosting site, it's all in Lang- Langley, Virginia. If you, it's all if like you aren't Monday working morning. for the CIA, please feel free to leave a comment on the YouTube video. <laughs> parody, satire, in the game, parody, parody. parody Tell us how you feel. Or you know what? If you are working for the CIA, please comment down below. We would love to hear your thoughts and opinions. Jesus. <laughs> I work for the CIA, and I absolutely love this show. It's so hard to be an intersectional um, CIA agent with depression and anxiety and to have to um, kill black people every day and just deal with it, being a black person myself. Hey, so hey, I hey, really hey, 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 The CIA <laughs> really kills white people too. Uh, I am, uh, 
I do. I hope like one person comments like, "Hey, I don't work." <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a fucking court summons. Watch, I'm going to fucking have someone at my door. My Twitter account is gonna be deleted. <laughs> Which, that's to be my, honest, like, would probably be good for your mental health, let's be honest. There you go. I'm like, that's my, like, one of my irrational fears is it's not that I necessarily do anything bad that that's why my phone has to be court summoned. It's that, like, someone else does something and I'm texting them and then they have to take my phone. They see all the weird shit I Google and I truly google weird shit because if there's something random in my brain i'm like gotta google it <laughs> it's it's not that harm harmful guys it's stuff like pineapple harvesting you need to chill okay. it, it really okay i was gonna say i think we got a new uh, podcast topic uh next time we bring like sky yeah out. like i have so many tabs open it's ridiculous oh girl that's giving me anxiety well um, but i i'm the king of having tabs like open so like tabs open on her phone like no exaggeration okay, but, but tyler you know i always have tabs open on my computer so like i mean yeah it's natural like, i'd end up with her come on i i i love it i love you too <laughs> you guys are great we love you. Uh, oh my gosh. So any closing thoughts from you guys? I mean, we we had a marathon session here. I yeah. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not gonna edit this. People are gonna be like, oh wow, the content's all confused and like, I'll roll with it. Honestly, you, you you want a smart show, go to cool zone. <laughs> you want a smart show? Be a podcaster yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go 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 comment on my shit. Actually engage with my content and like Put in the comments why I'm wrong. There, there. Hey, all engagement is engagement. Right, right. Concerned. Um, <laughs> right. But I guess closing thoughts. I mean, you know, maybe this is just because uh, I missed my pill yesterday, and I'm on a I'm on a high swing in terms of mental health. But um, I'm still as as much as it feels like everything's stacked in a bad way. I still am optimistic. I feel like every day there you see something happening that's at least pretty positive um, in terms of changing stuff. You know, BLM has not slowed down, has not backed down. Um, same goes for Justice Democrats, uh, DSA, pushing local elections and stuff, you know. So screw it. I'm going to say that I think we're still going to have progress. I, I think that, I guess that's my closing thought. As much as is a been a pretty pretty negative conversation just going over all the the dips and dives when it comes to politics and whatnot i don't know i think we could still see some stuff turn around thanks to viewers like you or listeners like you thank you <laughs> um i would like to say that i do have a belief that things can turn around um i'm scared that they won't turn around in time um but i i believe that and this is something i i've thought for a while that we needed trump um not that like i needed trump i, I definitely didn't need it but like the american people will the way that neoliberalism was just progressing and we were living in this post-racist society and everything's great and no one's doing anything no one's suffering and like how dealing with trump 
and Trump supporters and trying to push for it to be a little better, having Bernie's two movements, all of that has put us in a different space that we definitely weren't in. That, like, if you even compare 2012, like, the Obama years to now, like, we needed, we needed that just, we needed something to wake us the fuck up because everyone was really asleep. Everybody literally wants to pretend that they're woke or whatever, but everyone's still fucking asleep because they aren't actually mad at the people who they should be mad at. And they're having these fights with people on the internet who are literally powerless in these situations. And you have people on the internet who are like, oh my God, I love you on this. And it's like, okay, like you can love him, but you still not sucking his dick and you still not on his like little like um, airplane out to Mars. Like, don't worry. You're still being exploited by these groups. So I think it's just, we just, we need to band together. We need to come together. And like I said, not trying to be like, I did this or I did this. We are doing this. We are making life better for all of us. Well, and you know, you make a really good point. And that just reminds me uh, to say, rest in peace, Mike Gravel. God, God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that. You just mentioned the Obama years and like Mike Gravel was trying to do the Bernie thing before Bernie. Right. I mean, you rewatch that debate clip, that 2008 debate clip. Yeah. He said, I'm around a bunch of snakes, some phonies, some (laughs) stupid, and that's why I'm here. I don't even want to win. I just don't want them to win. And I'm like, yeah, I feel that. Rest to a real one. No one doing it like that. Nobody's spitting like they used to. No one is. And honestly, like, I I have not been mentally well for a while, but um, I don't think doom is the rightful answer in this case. Um, like, I keep evangelizing the Kush, uh, the Kush vlog. And as he says, um, it's futile to presume doom as a result because you just don't know what the conditions are going to be. How could you assume doom if you can't even assume, you know, paradise as the next thing that's going to happen? It's really not worth falling into that trap. But, you know, there's times where for a variety of reasons, we just feel like, well, this is my personal failure or I was worried about the wrong shit. But the thing is, is in all this time I've bullshitted uh, playing Breath of the Wild, I realized something. You have to pick up the work that was left for us in the past. And we just have to keep moving forward with it. The questions, in my mind at least, are still mostly the same. Yes, the conditions have changed. Yes, um, the landscape is different. It's been permanently changed to a certain extent. But those broad questions of how do we create a world that's dignified for people? How do we cooperate how do we not give in to our base instincts how do we uh you know live live harmoniously with one another these are things that need 
that still need to be answered. And there's been a lot of work answered in those directions. There's been a lot of work that was done and it was interrupted rudely. And it's not that we have to start exactly at the point A they left off at, but we have to, it's our responsibility as the next generation to pick it up, to internalize it, synthesize it with whatever new ideas we have and carry it forward with us. And maybe the future we have in mind is just something we can no longer imagine. Okay. That's, that's fine. I mean, this is as much for me as it is for everyone else, but I mean, I, I don't want to accept doom. I don't want to accept, uh, complacency in all this. I don't want to accept, uh, the easy way out. My whole life has been just picking the easy way out on a lot of this shit. And I'm not sure what the answer is because I can't, it's, it's so easy to say, well, we got to have a revolution. I, yeah, yeah. But the actual nuts and bolts of it, that's going to take a big collaborative effort and we're all going to have to work in some sense to break down our collective egos, break down our, uh, reservations about other people we're all gonna have to get over our internal trauma and pain that causes us to distrust people and we have a shot i still think that there's always a chance as long as everyone you know just puts the fire under their ass and gets to work but amen until until that day until all are one we're you know we're just gonna be here in the greenhouse being gaslit. Hell yeah. So the show is Greenhouse Gaslighting. Thanks again to Sky and Tyler for coming on. Anything you guys want to plug or where people can follow you? Go ahead, Sky. Don't follow me. Um <laughs> <laughs> I just I I don't want to post content right now. Um I and when I do, then you can follow me. But I will plug um, Fox Family Flames, one of the best candle companies and local. Amazing. Uh, At Fox Family Flames on Instagram and Twitter. No, on Instagram. Uh, Fox Family Flames on Facebook, or you can head to our website, www.foxfamilyflames.com. It is a one of the few family-owned businesses that we know of. We are, uh, for the month of July, running a sale where all of our candles are 10% off. Uh, 10%? Yes, it is It is Christmas in July, because that is a great uh, what's a gimmick to hop onto. Get rid of all your Christmas stock while you're at it. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. We do have a couple of our Christmas candles back up on the website while supplies last. Um, we did actually already sell out of one of the scents, so give it a, give it a look while you can. Yes. If you have any of the blueberry cheesecake, I will try not to eat the physical candle, but it is girl, very girl, that bakery collection. We'll keep that year round. <laughs> oh, okay. It is yeah. off. And because I play D and D with your boyfriend, he can use a no shipping code, and I'll just bring it to him. Oh my god! I got outed. I got outed on my own show. <laughs> <laughs> I got outed. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, I'll keep all our social media stuff uh, in the link below. Uh, Yeah. See you around. Have a beautiful evening. Bye.